How long have you been doing this? Just over a year. What were you doing before? I worked in the hospital. What made you leave? It's what God wanted. What's going on, Katie? Come on, you can tell me. Back then, I was so lost. But now, I am transformed. <gasps> and soon, everyone will see. Maude, he isn't real. He's everywhere. He's physically in me. killer hosts my name is parker your resident horror fanatic and i'm julianne your a24 horror and welcome to What's Your Favorite Scary Movie is a horror film podcast where we're on a journey to find our favorite scary movie one at a time. Whether you hate them or love them, join us and discover yours. Spoilers ahead, so plan your movie screening every weekend before the episode release. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another fabulous episode of What's Your Favorite Scary Movie. Today, we're going to do a little bit of time traveling. The very last movie that I saw before the lockdown for the COVID pandemic was a press screening of St. Maud. So we recorded this episode in March of 2020. Yes, you are going to hear us reference the time of year, wonder if maybe the movie can still come out in April, and I hope that you get a laugh out of that considering the year that we did not know that we were in for. I still think that the conversation Julianne and I have is absolutely wonderful and that you're going to love it. And I hope that you loved St. Maud as much as we did So buckle up, the time machine is about to take off, and enjoy this episode discussing the twists and turns of St. Maud. So as we're recording this, the the movie hasn't come out yet. It will be Mm -hmm. when when we release it, but with the coronavirus going around, we're not sure if it's going to be released on time. So, but uh, yeah, we'll see if that happens, you know, because... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow, so. And speaking of, I mean, probably a good disclaimer for any listeners that who knows what will be going on in the world when this episode comes out. Yeah. Right now, St. Maud is scheduled to release. Um, let me check my calendar. I believe it's, Do you know? I believe it's wide April 10th. I think it's limited April 3rd, I believe, as of now. Yes, you are correct. Yeah. But um, you might be hearing this episode I don't know, months later. (laughs) (laughs) Might be the zombie apocalypse before that. So we'll see. So yeah, might be a different world that we're in right now. So fingers crossed though. St. Maud is, uh, well, hopefully wide released in 2020. We shall see. (laughs) It was written and directed by Rose Glass. And this is her feature debut. So congratulations, Rose. Oh my God. I believe her name is Morphid. Morphid. 
Clark. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's a pretty rad name. Yeah, regardless. pretty cool name. Um, incredible actress. She's uh was fantastic in this movie. But yeah, she uh, as you said, she had a, a little bit of a boom. She's been in Crawl from last year, a little little monster horror, and uh, His Dark Materials and Dracula, which is on BBC and Netflix this year, and the upcoming Amazon Lord of the Rings series. So, can we, which I, I think. I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings person. Yeah. My parents are. Okay. Um, but this actress who plays Maud Morfitt has a very like fantasy look to me. So I'm yeah. actually pretty excited about that. Yeah, she's very um like elf like almost, I would say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, she's got that very like angular bone structure. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Right. But um and then as aside from that, Jennifer Ely, I believe her name is pronounced, she plays Amanda, the patient. She was in Zero Dark Thirty from 2012, the Fifty Shades films, which I can't, which I admittedly have seen uh, a few. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know who she was. Do you know who she was in? I don't either. But the thing is, is when I saw that she was in this, I was like, oh, that woman, I've seen her everywhere. And then like, she's not in as much as you think she is. Right. These just seem to be the recent highlights. Okay. So I don't know who she plays in Fifty Shades. I too have seen it. And anyone listening... I, they have stop lying to us. <laughs> We've all seen at least one, so don't act, don't judge mm-hmm. us. Yeah, I actually have not seen the final one, so I need to catch up. Yeah, no. And then uh, Vox Lux from last year, which I haven't seen, but I heard was pretty great. So, so yeah. The Rotten Tomatoes summary says, "Quote: Saint Maud is a chilling and boldly original vision of faith, madness, and salvation in a fallen world." Maud, a newly devout hospice nurse becomes obsessed with saving her dying patient's soul, but sinister forces in her own sinful past threaten to put an end to her holy calling. That's what the movie is. I mean, really, it's kind of, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's very simplistic, but it's also very big in terms of like what's going on internally with her. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty good uh, summarization of it. I know. I'm always just jealous of people who can really pack in so much uh, meaning in a little space. Mm -hmm. I agree. The Rotten Tomatoes information I have is as of today that we're recording, Mm -hmm. March 15th, 2020. Um, Obviously, since the movie has not been released yet, there's no audience score. Right. But the critic score is currently 93%, so getting some pretty positive press. Hello, it is I, Future Parker, is back to let you know that since we recorded this episode, St. Maud is currently at a 94% on the critic score, and the audience score is a 67%. Now, back to the past to hear more of our discussion of St. Maud. And their consensus says a brilliantly unsettling blend of body horror and psychological thriller. St. Maud marks an impressive debut for writer-director Rose Glass. Yes. Yeah. And I actually like that they, I feel like Rotten Tomatoes, you know, there's so much give and take with what you trust and what you shouldn't on Rotten Tomatoes, but their consensus says, Consensi, I don't know what the plural of consensus is, uh, but they seem to be becoming a little more um, literate in horror yeah. terminology. So, like saying yeah. like body horror and psychological thriller, like I, I think that's that a very well. yeah, that's pretty that's pretty on point, which is impressive. So maybe because they're actually uh, getting their 
reviews from horror publications, mm-hmm. from horror critics who actually re- know how to review horror. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What happens when you have a larger sample size uh-huh. of people? <laughs> yep. Hi, it's me again. Just popping in to let you know that now Julianne herself is a tomato meter approved critic. So the changes continue. All right. So I saw this last week at a press screening. Uh, how did you first see St. Maud? So I had gotten a screener of it from my editor. Um, and I, while it was, you know, by myself in the dark and it, it, it was just as chilling and effective. However, mm. the screener kept crapping out on me a few times. So mm. I do have to see it on the big screen eventually. And I was supposed to go with you, but then with yeah. the stupid pandemic that we're currently having, I uh, missed it. But, um, but yeah, I do want to see it in a theater with the, kind of with the, you know with a small crowd not anything rowdy but like a crowd <laughs> kind of like when that moment which we'll talk about later when that moment happens oof I mean my yeah. I had chills in the back of my neck so I definitely would like to be with you know a bigger kind of see it on a wider scope so yeah it's not necessarily like a big like scream no. at the screen movie definitely not no but it does have enough things it going on moment. visually that I yep. do think seeing it in theaters was exciting cool. um and I think that was my first takeaway after seeing the movie was that it is a very um, visual experience. And, right. you know, they dive into some stuff with the artist William Blake and they're kind of creating their own visual art. I mean, not that all films aren't art or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. this one, they create their own kind of imagery. And um, I, um, I, I think what, with if I can, I think what you're getting at. I think what they, mm. it's very, it's it's literal while also being very fantastical too. Like like there mm-hmm. are scenes where like Maud, like we don't we don't know we can't differentiate between like reality and fantasy sometimes with mm-hmm. her, we're in her, her her point of view. So like there are scenes where like she thinks that she's an angel and she grows beautiful white angel wings and we know they're they're not there, but like she thinks they're there and that's how she views it. So. Yeah, and even yeah. more literally, I think there are just certain scenes that are like these uh constructed like um I'm I'm missing a word here that I'm really looking for, but there are just certain scenes that you could screenshot from this movie and like, you know, hang up in a gallery. Oh, and yeah. I think that there is um like we were saying earlier, like something exciting about seeing that in a theater and um this movie like earns its its ticket price. Oh, for sure. I think I, if any of you have seen uh, some photos or from the trailer, the elevated the at the point where she's being elevated and levitating to to the to the. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just it's we've seen it before. It's been done many times in religious horror. It's nothing new, but God, it's so beautiful and chilling. And the way she and the way that actress, um, again, we we don't know how to pronounce her name correctly, but. <laughs> Um, she, when she, the faces that she makes as she's like being possessed by what she believes is God, like, it's just so, it's like almost like orgasmic and it's just, it's really Mm -hmm. incredible. It's very, it's, you feel like you're in there and like a fly on the wall watching this all go down and it's kind of, uh, it's kind of chilling. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. And as you kind of touched on, like religion is, you know, this is not new ground that St. Maud is treading. Like religion is a huge theme in a lot of horror films. 
Well, what's so fascinating about this is that this movie coming out in 2020, you know, more more and more people are kind of, especially younger people, are kind of pulling away from religion. I mean, it's just kind of like statistically, like people are just kind of pulling away from um just like Catholicism and Christianity and stuff, just, you know, as, as people have gotten older and more liberal, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I just find it interesting that th- in this case, like with Maud, this is a contemporary story in which she wants to be religious. She wants, she is completely so in on it that she is obsessed with it. And everyone else is like, yo girl, like chill, you know? And mm-hmm. I just find it kind of like, I'm like, Hmm, why would this be set in a contemporary setting when so, so, I should say less, less and less people are not gravitating towards religion as, you know, Mm -hmm. as, as people get more progressive and you know what I mean? Like, so that's kind of fascinating to think about, like, why, why was the story, you know, a contemporary one could have been like from 30 years ago, but maybe that's why, because she, she's kind of like an outsider and everyone else Mm -hmm. around her is like, why are, why are you like this? You know? Yeah. And I think that, I was kind of fascinated by, you know, she says that she has only been practicing Catholicism for like a year. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things that she either does or says in her religious practice are like questioned by other people or maybe seem like not necessarily correct practice of Catholicism. Like at the beginning, she tells Amanda that her saint... Uh, I actually, I do not know that much about Catholicism, but yeah, I, um, I didn't grow up Catholic either, but yeah. Uh, and she says that hers is Mary Magdalene right. and Amanda's like, oh, I didn't know that they, you know, had hers, one of those. Right, right. Um, And then even having William Blake, it's like she becomes so engrossed in this imagery that he's created when really William Blake was kind of about subverting religion and not Mm -hmm. that he wasn't religious, but he was into creating his own religion kind of like Maude is doing. Right. So I think that is interesting because it's not necessarily christian what we're seeing even though like she's under the impression that what she's practicing is a very like like a uh, monotheistic god yeah practice she's very um she's she's kind of warped her warped mind is kind of warping her own lens of religion i guess you could say you know what i mean like, mm-hmm. it's like she the way she views it it's like oh this what i do is that's justified i'm i'm keeping god's word and it's like no that's not probably what god would want you to do <laughs> if, if it is yeah. that in your head but yeah she's she's kind of and and that's the thing too like in the movie you, you could see like there are different voiceovers in which like the voice is very like deep and kind of creepy and you're like is that mm-hmm. the devil that the mm-hmm. devil speaking to you like i don't she doesn't even know like we, we don't know and that's what's so cool about it is that it's very vague and you don't really know what's going on you don't know how literal or, or how fantastical it is because it's all kind of just in her point of view and she's not a reliable narrator so yeah and actually her mental state is something that i think that well i just love the way it's portrayed in this movie because mm-hmm. mod is kind of our constant and you're right she is not a reliable narrator but at no. the same time she's never really portrayed as insane like everything we're yeah. seeing literally is just like here is fact this is happening right. and maybe we're questioning whether or not like what she's doing is 
chill or not. Right. But the movie never is. And so her specific, like the things she's saying and the things she's doing are just like so matter of fact in the movie that I, I was so kind of entranced by the way that they were playing yeah. with that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, like we've kind of briefed on before, but I think the possession scenes in which she feels God, that's when the movie really like it's, it's not, it's not like a David Cronenberg body horror. It's mm-hmm. a spiritual body horror where it's like when she feels God within her, oh my God, like that, that's when the movie really kind of kicks into gear. It's like, she just, the, her facial contortions and her body movements. And she's just like laying on the floor. Like it's like orgasmic, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of interesting being possessed by God. Usually we see things that are possessed by the devil more or less in horror, but like possessed by God or she thinks that it's God. We don't know, mm-hmm. but like, that's kind of fascinating. So I kind of like that about it. Yeah. And I'm actually looking up right now how long this movie is because it's short as hell. Okay. It's an hour and 24 minutes. I was about to say that it felt really short, but yeah. that like I thought it was actually long. So it was, it feels short and it is short. <laughs> well, I think like you and I were talking about off, off the record, but like, yeah, I think off the record. Well, <laughs> This movie, in comparison to other A24 horror films, like The mm-hmm. the Witch and Hereditary and stuff like that, those movies feel a little bit more bigger and iconic. And mm-hmm. not that I, I love St. Maude. Like, I, this is definitely mm-hmm. going to be in my top of the year. But this one feels very smaller scope. And I can't really explain why. It just feels a little bit smaller and more, like, subtle. But then, like, mm-hmm. it has its moments, too. So I don't. I think that's what you mean when you say it kind of feels very small and contained. Because it kind of is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was my immediate reaction afterward was I was like, ooh, like, that was really awesome. But at the same time, like, there's, yeah, there's something less kind of, like, yeah awesome in kind of the traditional sense, definition of that word right. about this movie compared. And I, I wonder if maybe that's because, like, Hereditary, Midsummer and The Witch and, mm, I was about to say something that then citing the witch kind of disproves because I was like, maybe it's because those all kind of involve a larger reality than just the protagonist when really like the witch is just about Thomason. And even though it involves other people, you know, St. Maud is about Maud. Um, Well, hmm. well, so I I already retract what I was about to say. Well, maybe like perhaps like with St. Maud, like St. Maud is she's a protagonist, but she's also kind of the antagonist in many ways, Mm -hmm. too, where in which and even in Hereditary with Annie Graham, Tony Collette's character, like they're very much like we're on their side for most of it. You know, maybe certain scenes, but like for the most part, we're we're pretty much on their side. Where with this, it's kind of we're like, girl, (laughs) we're like, you know, don't do that kind of thing to make the difference. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I don't quite know why this doesn't feel as um, epic as yeah. those other ones, but I don't think it diminishes what the movie does. Yeah. I think that's more of like something that I felt after it was over, not during. Right, right. Um, and kind of hitting on what you just said, mm-hmm. let's. I just I'll briefly explain kind of the first half of the movie because I do think this is kind of like a you've got half a movie and then turn you got a second half um so it's like Maude is called to be an in in in-home caretaker or nurse for amanda who is suffering from uh i wrote down spinal lymphoma and then googled to see what that was and could not figure it out but we have evaluated that that is cancer cancer, yeah uh and uh amanda is a very like worldly 
worldly person who, you know, not just in that she has her own like vices or sins as this movie is, you know, thrown at us. Uh, But, you know, she is a famous dancer. And so that's a very like body oriented profession. And she is much more skeptical and unwilling to uh, kind of latch on to the more uh, spiritual things that Maude wants to throw at her. And so they're kind of a hard match, but they immediately get along, which, you know, is unexpected for Maude. And you know that something, that it's not as simple as that, and that Amanda is, you know, brewing something a little more uh, skeptical underneath all of that. But it kind of just plays out of, like, we're seeing Maude experience her religion trying to share her message with Amanda until it takes a turn. Yeah. Yeah. Until it takes a turn at this party where um, Amanda basically makes fun of Maude in front of a whole room of people. And she has kind of a breakdown and gets out and slaps Amanda and is fired. But building up to that is kind of more of about, I, 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 I was viewing everything we're seeing between Maude and Amanda is just letting us know who Maude is because Amanda is so willing to go along with that. And so it's like, you have this intense character build for Maude and seeing kind of how she ticks and we're like Amanda being introduced to Maude. And then there's this sudden turn where we see then who Maude was before all of this. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like I think the dichotomy between Amanda and Maude, like Maude she probably recognizes some of herself in Amanda because that's who she probably used to be in some way. Mm-hmm. Amanda. And it's funny too, because they both have like this going back to body horror, their bodies are both kind of like Amanda's bodies re- kind of failing her where Maude mm-hmm. is like, she feels like it's like kind of like empowering her because God is within her. And it's got like Maude is very prudish. She's very uncomfortable in her own skin. And Amanda is, you know, she's fun. She has, she has a lover that comes over to the house. Um, She's, they're just, they're opposites. And they can't, like, watching them, like, Amanda's very brash. And Maude is Mm -hmm. brash in a different way. She's, I mean, she, she, she may be more, like, actually verbally polite. But the things that she does are way more aggressive as, as the movie goes on. Uh, I was just going to say that I think aggressive is the perfect word yeah. because it kind of hits a point where Maud Maud is no longer willing to just accept sharing her beliefs, yeah. but she is, you know, she changes to wanting to, like, like you said, aggressively mm-hmm. like push those beliefs onto Amanda and kind of shape Amanda's final days for her. Right. Uh, and I, I, I actually there, so there's a scene well i would say like the first scene that really caught my attention was mod you know shares her her message initially with amanda and then she walks out and she's going up the staircase and there's like a pulsing light and like this rhythm to the sound score that's happening and this is like her first or the first that we're seeing encounter with god where she says when he's pleased she can feel him in her body and she has like you were saying earlier this very like sexual orgasmic uh moment Mm -hmm. where uh she is experiencing like the the how god is pleased with her her actions and soon after that 
she is sitting with Amanda and they're having another moment and she starts experiencing the same thing. And Amanda is uh, observing how she's acting. And I, I myself having a degree in modern dance uh, <laughs> under really understood and clicked in with what was happening where Amanda was observing what was going on with mod and then trying to uh, mimic it in her own body. And I think that's partially psychological her trying to play this game with mod but also like i understand this desire to see something physical and try and take that into your own body and feel the same thing even if it's kind of second rate because you're putting it on instead of feeling it but i thought that was a very striking scene amanda's dying you know so i think she Mm -hmm. just kind of wants to feel anything before she dies and she's kind of like you know what i'll I will entertain this notion that like God is within her and hell I'll do it too. I I like to feel things. I like to feel fun. And Amanda's definitely more lax and more, what's the word? Uh, I guess just, she's just, you know, she's more fun to be, she's more fun to be around than Maude is. Maude is so uptight. And uh, so. Yeah. I would not want to hang out with Maude. I'd pick Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) So I think she's just kind of like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll do it. Excuse me. Yeah, and what's more tragic than um than you know her body was her art and now that's the thing that's failing yep. her. So I I I think that for me like I mean I know that I'm like I'm a dancer. I I relate so much. <laughs> but uh the thread of like she her being a dancer could have been just like, you know, a thing that is in the movie, but it's such a significant thread to her character that isn't a thing, but it is such a thing. And I, those details, you know, Rose glass, a plus. Um, Yeah. I kind of want to talk about since we're going into that scene of that, she rejected her after. Mm -hmm. So after that point, Maude kind of falls off. Maude kind of loses. Like you said, she has a meltdown. She goes to a bar. She attempts to flirt. She's by herself. And, oh, tragic uh, I, watching I, this. I mean, I, my heart just, I was like, oh, guy, just cringe. And yeah. she kind of makes eyes with the guy because a few other guys she kind of eyed up. They didn't really give her the time of day. He mm-hmm. sees one. And then the camera cuts to a scene in which she, you see her hand movement and she's jerking him off in the bathroom. <laughs> and <I'm> like, uh-huh. <laughs> girl. And, and you don't expect that because of Maude, how tight she is. But then you start to realize that this is who Maude was before she converted. So she goes to sit back down alone. She's awkwardly trying to fit in with people. People aren't having it. She's just so socially uncomfortable in her own skin. Oh, it's just, it's crazy. And specifically a moment where there's a table next to her who's laughing at a joke and she just tries to start start laughing with them and they just like shoot her a weird look and she stops. That was the tragedy of this movie. I mean, I I the many tragedies. That was definitely one. Um, and And then from that, Maude's night gets even worse when she decides to go and take some guy home or I forget if she was at his place or whichever it was, but yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. sure of the location, but uh, when she's on top of him, riding him and whatnot, she starts having flashbacks um, from the beginning, which we can, we should discuss now of compressing mm. a male patient's chest and then killing him. So, Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's a very, this is not like a super jump scary no. movie, but it is a very sudden and jarring yeah. moment where her hands crash through this patient's Ugh. chest. And I jumped definitely in my seat. Definitely. Yeah. It's uh, you're not expecting that. <laughs> you're like, mm-hmm. um, 
And then after, at that point, she's, she's talking to herself or to God, I should say. And she goes, I changed, didn't I? Before violently puking. And this scene, I don't, this scene. The most violent puke I've ever seen in a movie. I was going to say, have you ever seen Possession from 1981? I have Okay. That's what we'll, well, guess what audience we're doing that next because Parker needs (laughs) to see that. But yeah. um, Well, I guess it was a very exorcist. Like she throws that puke across the room. Yeah. Just wait till you see Possession. There, I I was going to say, point out there's a subway scene. They're pretty iconic scene in which reminded me much of like that, but she's freaking out. She's contorting. She's foaming at the mouth. She's levitating. And that's when shit just goes off the rail. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has that kind of classic backbend exorcist yeah. mo- or exorcism moment yeah. that uh, I I think it's interesting that I mean I don't know quite how the craft of filmmaking is done. You know, there are so many different things that go into making a film that I'm just not trained in and that I don't know. Right. But it's interesting to choose that image for this film when it is such an iconic image that's been used over and over again yeah. uh isn't that also like the poster for ouija origin of evil isn't there a girl in a back i'm not sure if that's a poster but yeah maybe um there's a movie i'm thinking of that i think is a ouija movie that has that image but it's just like i wonder if that's like a way to like shorthand what's like some sort of experience or horror lingo to us. Uh, But I think that that kind of culmination of like, like she attempts to convert Amanda. She fails. She kind of, you know, she spirals out after that Mm -hmm. and then has this moment that's like, you know, come back to me, this ultimate orgasm that she's been looking for in communication with God. Um, I think that was a very powerful moment that, you know, backbend or not was like, I don't even know what to say, because it's not the climax of the movie, no. but a very climactic moment yeah. in the movie. Heading towards that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a big turning point for her where it's like, you know what, sometimes I do suck and do bad things, but that can't always throw me off the path. Like, I have a mission to go yeah. on. And also... She does have a moment when she is having sex with the man that um, she kind of has that flashback and it jumps off and he's like, is everything okay? And then he's like ready to go back to town and she says, no, stop. And he does it anyway. Yeah. That was um, really disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. It was very disturbing, but I do think profound in her journey where this moment was not only triggering for that memory of, uh, you know, maybe killing a patient, but also triggering in other ways to her own body and uh, psychology that she, this is the moment where I think things go from like somebody who's having a hard time to somebody who's having like a serious mental breakdown and issue. Before we get into that as well, I want to mention as well, I think, and I could be wrong. I want to see how you read it, but I was wondering if Maude has repressed homosexuality. Because it seems like she's just kind of going through the beats. Like, she's so obsessed with Amanda that I'm wondering. And then when Mm -hmm. she has sex with the guy, I'm wondering. I'm like, she's not enjoying this. She's just kind of doing this because she feels like she has to, it seems like. Like, she's not enjoying this at all. I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if you got that vibe. Like, do you think she's kind of trying to cover up homosexuality because she's ashamed of it? Because because she's a new convert? Or I I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a strange 
I, I can't remember if it's explicitly said or not. Does Amanda ever say like you just like you have a crush on me or something? Something like that. Yeah, I think it was. She so yeah, I think something like that is said, but I think the main part is her jealousy of the woman that Amanda pays to come have sex with yeah. her. And Maud kind of puts it on as like Amanda's on this spiritual journey that you're disrupting. Don't come back and see Amanda again. Right. But I mean, it definitely could have been something else. I think yes, maybe to that. But in this moment, I was reading more of like the intense, um, you know, religious stigma around mm-hmm. sex. Well, and yeah. I think her being more ashamed of sexuality in general, yeah, that's probably- instead of necessarily like one leaning. Right, right. Yeah, you're probably right. So, yeah, I don't know. But I do think that this this moment, whether it was from him taking more than, you know, he needed to be because there was not consent there at the end, yeah. or whether it was that, uh, you know, patient situation that had happened earlier, like something snaps and things start not only just in the story, but visually and in the uh, kind of fantasy that we're seeing start becoming a lot more extreme, yeah. starting with this backbend moment that we were just talking about. Yeah, definitely. Um, and she, uh, we should we should also mention before we start to get into the big the big moments, but she also has a shrine that keeps growing, that keeps getting increasingly larger as the movie goes on. Which is, you know, it's I mean, people have shrines. I mean, lot that's you see that in all the time. But like this becomes mm-hmm. disturbingly like she she cuts out pictures of like from the religious book that I think Amanda got her, I believe, was it? Yeah, well, it's a book of uh, art by William Blake. Yeah, and like I was right. saying, uh, he I actually wrote down a few things reading, researching about him, uh, that he was inspired by the structure of Christianity, but had kind of formed his own version of it, where he viewed the body and the soul not as separate, but the body as an extension of the soul. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, Maud's reading the book and we're hearing her in her monologue and it says something along the lines of that Blake rejected organized religion saying that it corrupts the intimate personal experience of it. So all kind of related into this very physicalized uh, experience that Maude is having with her spirituality and Amanda being a dancer, Maude having this physical thing. Like this movie I think is definitely tapping into like the sensuality and uh, sensual nature of spiritual experience. Yeah, definitely. The other thing I wanted to point yeah. out was um, I looked up uh, what the what Mary Magdalene is the saint of. Mm-hmm. And you know that the information I'm about to give you is factual because it comes from Catholic.org. Oh, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. It said, quote, she is the patroness of converts, repentant sinners, sexual temptation, women. So those are all things that we are definitely hitting on here. And then it also throws in pharmacists and tanners. Huh. That's interesting. (laughs) So yeah, those last two are a a little tacked on. But before that, those are all very prevalent things for mine. Yeah. You were hitting on the shrine. This is also, yeah. I believe, the first time we hear that very like jarring, booming voice of whoever she has been worshiping. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and we're as I think we kind of hinted at, but we're not quite sure 
well, first of all, as we said, we don't really know what's happening and what's really not happening because we're in her point of view and she's not, she's a little, you know, she's a little warped. Um, but it also mm-hmm. comes across as maybe a little satanic and we're yeah. not, you know, <laughs> he's encouraging her to do negative things, which if there is a God, I think that would not be the case. Um, yeah. And also I was just curious as to why this deity is not speaking English. I don't know what language he's yeah. speaking, but the movie shifts to subtitles yeah. and it's like a very scary voice yeah. speaking a different language. Yeah. I think it's- I wasn't quite sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have in my notes, Satan speaking to her question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote in my notes, I wrote, um, where did I write that down? I wrote bizarre convo with God. <laughs> God, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I put a question mark. <laughs> um, I don't know. Have you have you seen First Reformed? Another A twenty four. Not so much horror, but more of like a drama, dark drama. Yeah, I, I have. It's a uh, and yeah, drama. Dark, like you were saying, it's very that one's about um, very much like climate change and pollution. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, there's a lot of similarities between this as well. And as not sorry to spoil First Reform, guys, but um, <laughs> but at the end. Ethan Hawke's character who has been kind of battling with his, you know, kind of, do I want to be, I still want to be Catholic or I just want to be, I think he's a priest. I forget exactly a minister. I'm not sure, but he's kind Mm -hmm. of battling with who he wants to be and like his identity crisis. And then he eventually martyrs himself and becomes a, you know, um, what we're going to see from Maud and uh, which is, I don't know. I was interested. I was interested to see what you thought of like versus like, when when a man is the martyred versus when a woman is the martyr, we can get into that where we get to the end. But there's some, I don't know, there's some interesting uh, things to explore there. Yeah, and I guess I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, those are the, the similarities in those two movies. Now that you bring it up, are substantial, yeah. and there are quite a few moments of the whole like self punishment flagellation thing that goes on in these religious themed movies where you know and first reform doesn't he like wrap barbed wire around him and yeah that was horrendous to witness uh and saint maude she you know kneels on some crushed up pills that looks painful (laughs) creates little pin sole for her shoe that she steps on and that is horrendous I think I talked about this in our Gretel and Hansel episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't quite remember. But I thought it was just like common knowledge that women were closer to God or Satan. But apparently when I no, I mean, this was for um, the article that I wrote for something ghoulish yeah. uh, on Gretel and Hansel. Yeah. When I Googled it, it seemed like not everyone was on the same page thinking that. But I thought there was something about just like maybe it's in dance. Martha Graham always talks about like the life source and how the how women are, you know, the life Mm -hmm. source and have vaginas. So maybe that had something to do with it. But I just thought there was this thing about women and kind of spiritual deities that were more intimate than men. And maybe it's something also about just cultural things about expressing emotion and spirituality is an emotional thing. Um, so maybe it's that, but I do think that, and this could just be me reading it as a man and, you know, men suck, but I do think Maude does seem a lot more 
crazy than the than Ethan Hawke in First Reform. Yeah, yeah. In First Reform, I was like, oh wow, he is sacrificing himself yeah. for the greater good. And in Saint Maud, I was like, girl, get it together. A little more delusional, just a tad. Um, which yeah. uh, I guess brings us to one of the, I think one of the, the most scary scene. I, now, just a so heads up, guys. This movie isn't like a terrifying, like holy shit kind of scary movie, but it does have its mm-hmm. moments, which we should get into now speaking of which um the bedside scene um, mm-hmm. that's uh yeah that i think is by far the scariest scene uh because the devil if if this is what we think it is he makes it loud and clear that he's there in that room in the presence of mm-hmm. him and Ama- of amanda and maude and uh yeah um yeah, and this is another kind of jump scare moment for the movie where they're having a conversation and Maud is doing her Saint Maud thing where she's got her big, you know, gown on and her rosary and she's also got a water bottle full of acid. Yeah, I think acid or something. something. Yeah. Yeah, it was strange at first. Or no, it's not acid, it's something flammable because it's weird because she puts it on Amanda's forehead and does a little like sign of the cross on her forehead and you hear like a sizzling noise. But the way Amanda reacts is not, ow, that hurts. It's just like, stop this bullshit, right. you know? And then later, Maude, well, you know, later, which we're still on the bedside thing. But later when she dumps it on herself, she does not like, I was like, oh, like she's going to start like melting away. <laughs> but instead it's just flammable. So I'm not quite sure what this substance is because I thought it was going to be more important and then it was yeah. But um, yeah, there's just a sudden turn where, you know, Maude and Amanda are having this conflict where it's like, is Amanda being kind or she's like switching back and forth between antagonistic and also like Maude, like someone be here for me, which I think is just a desperation to not be alone in her state. Uh, And then there's like a very swift change where like Amanda like yells something at her and her face contorts and she looks very scary and she kind of throws Maude across the room You must be the loneliest girl I've ever seen. I'm here, Amanda. I am not alone. And neither are you. Oh, snap out of it, honey. He isn't real. You must know that. No. You felt him too, remember? We both did. No, honey. I didn't. That's not true. You have no idea how dull it is to be dying. I hate to be the one to break it to you, but it's just you and me here. Nothing you do matters. Well, that was easy. responsibility for your actions. You came back here because you are alone. If you were a true believer, he would be enough, but it's clear now you're as weak as your faith. Ah! 
watched. Okay. <laughs> this is Maud's yeah. entire livelihood. So she just kind of completely crushed her dreams in that moment. And Maud takes matters into her own hands at that point. <laughs> She does, but before she does, Maud considers what Amanda says. She yeah. kind of has a moment where she's like, oh, shit, like, am I crazy? Yeah. Like, is what I believe and what I've been doing this whole time for nothing? Right. But then ultimately she decides, like, no, Amanda, you're full of shit. And she, you know, jumps on her and stabs her a billion times with a tiny pair of scissors. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> and I wonder... You know, we don't get a very good, obviously, because Maud's brain seems a little bit beyond the grasp of reality, understanding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so we never get a very, you know, tight grip on the lore or like the mythology of whatever she believes. But, you know, I wonder, like, is whatever possesses Amanda uh, what Maud has been hearing from in her own time or is it a different spirit like is this a god versus satan yeah. is amanda physically manifesting you know the antagonist to what mod has been working against like yeah. i'm not sure now, that's i think i kind of leaning towards what you believe as well that that amanda has or at least mod thinks that amanda is the manifestation of satan which is the opposite mm -hmm. of what she thinks is in her brain but whenever but also, like, the voice that she hears in her bedroom with the shrine or her, you know, like, studio apartment, <laughs> uh, it's very similar to the voice that comes out of Amanda. Yeah. So it's like, you the know. The whole time, if it is Satan, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I think one more thing to add is that, like, Maud ironically taunts Amanda for not being a true believer and not taking responsibility for her own actions. And it's like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> the biggest the biggest like hypocritical statement and like and i think mm -hmm. that that may be a commentary on what some religious zealots can be like extremists it's like oh you know like they like no you were wrong and you did this and you did that and maude is exactly that she's trying to convert everyone and be be like her and in the meantime she's the most dangerous person out of anyone in the movie you know so it's like yeah, I think there's definitely a huge critique of, you know, religious institutions oh, here, yeah. uh, because I I think that generally, like in this movie, like the religion and mod are kind of a conduit more for like the insanity in the story, but also like that's definitely present, too. And, you know, even thinking about how sensual mods relationship with uh, her beliefs are. And the fact that, you know, sensuality and sexuality are so, like, stick, uh, uh, frowned yeah. upon for, uh, you know, devout religious people in certain, I mean, I, I always disclaim, you know, not speaking for everyone, no, but that. yeah, and we're looking at extremes here, yeah, you know, this is yeah. a movie, we're amplifying yeah. reality. Right. Um, but like I said at the beginning, how everything Maude does, like you just mentioned, is kind of hypocritical because she's viewing herself as, you know, second to whoever she's worshiping. And um, but everything is also a little bit off where it's like, no, that doesn't seem exactly like the way Catholics would go about this. No, that doesn't seem like the way, you know, so and so would be doing this and actual organized religion right. so i think that the kind of delusion of what mod believes in the spirituality she's practicing is kind of the the main hit of the movie yeah. 
Uh, my thing to add about this scene is that when she's going to Amanda's house up on this hill, very like Tim Burton house up mm-hmm. there, um, she looks out over the ocean and the moon is massive. And I was just like, oh, what a fun like fantasy moment where the moon is like, it's like half the screen yeah. is the moon. Yeah, that's, yeah, I wonder what, why, what purpose that served or what. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful scene, but yeah. Yeah, I'm all about aesthetics. So I yeah. was like, I don't care what it means. Give me something pretty. <laughs> Which, I mean, we did kind of hint at, but this movie, it's beautiful. It's simplistic. It's not anything like, you know, but it's just, it's gorgeous. The cinematography is mm-hmm. beautiful. And, uh, which leads us, I guess, to the end. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. This this scene, it's I, I just I loved how now this premiered, I believe, at TIFF last year in September. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing some of the reactions on Twitter and people were like, this kind of reminded me of the last shot in another A24 horror favorite of ours, which we should definitely review together next. Um, the Black Coat's Daughter by Oz, Oz mm-hmm. Perkins, the same director of a. Uh, Gretel and Hansel. But uh yeah, mm-hmm. that that final moment of just like agony and pain and sadness, like that, that's definitely what, what happens here. And it's so beautiful because it Rose Glass kind of she does it so well. It's like she's looking at it like on one hand, it's flashing from what Maud sees, and Maud she walks on the beach, kind of dressed like Jesus Christ. Kind of very, very I'm sure purposefully, she's kind of draped in white and she just looks very elegant, angel-like. Yeah. And uh, she pours the gasoline over herself and lights herself on fire. And she's imagining everyone at the beach who there's a crowd of a good amount of people there all kneeling before her. And mm-hmm. She's got the big uh-huh. wings again. And, and be- these beautiful wings. It's oh, it's the, the scene is so gorgeous. In the meantime, in mm-hmm. reality, everyone is panicking and screaming and trying to get help for her. But she imagines herself looking ethereal and angelic and kind of floating into to the sky into heaven. And the very final shot is just reality of her in flames, being engulfed and just screaming in agony. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way they structure it is incredible because it's flashing back and forth between the reality and her fantasy. And then it kind of stops and it is her fantasy for a long time. And that's where I thought it was going in. But then it's just the briefest flash of her screaming on fire. And that reminded me a lot of the finale of Midsummer, yes. where the whole clan or cult or whatever you want to call Cargo. them believed, yeah, they believe in their beliefs so heavily and devoutly. And, you know, these guys have volunteered to go be in this big flaming ritual. Yeah. And they're told they won't feel pain. They'll feel like the, uh, the elation of like knowing that they've sacrificed themselves for the cause. But when they do catch on fire, uh, you see this guy screaming in pain. And I think, yeah, I think that's always a very, um, I, I, I had this like idea that I was rolling around in my mind about this movie about, And then I was like spiraling out into conspiracy theories out of it. But, you know, like in my life, you know, my life is about me, you know? Obviously. (laughs) If that makes sense. Yeah. So Maude, I think, has this very, that I wasn't just saying that. I'm about to connect it. (laughs) Just, yeah, just saying that. It's about me next. Uh, Maude is having this thing where she cannot separate that her world and her plight, like her modness, is 
is her her thing and that's separate from the world like the world is not mod but mod doesn't understand that she thinks the world is about she's very self-absorbed yeah 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 and she you know that's where she kind of comes up with this idea of like it is my sole responsibility to save people and become saint mod and so I was rolling around this idea in my head about, you know, what's real versus what you believe and like your plight versus like the plight of the world. Right. And then I was like, then, you know, like I said, conspiracy, like, well, isn't every movie like that where, you know, you have the protagonist, but then there's a whole world around them. That, so it was getting out of hand, but it was kind of making me think about religion and the way that, you know, everything is amplified and kind of, dramatic because it feels like my sin is the world's sin and my ability to save others is you know the end-all be-all of the world's well welfare and so yeah i think another critique of you know evangelism and religion is this ability to separate the your your choices and your uh, you know, your legacy is not is so minuscule in the grand scheme of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it is sad. And it's I think what's so unique about and I mean, I know there are other horror films that address this, but not as many that, that do this. But like with with St. Maud, like she Maud is always trying to prove herself, which a common theme, like even like in The Exorcist, like there's such a and with any religious horror it's like the questioning of faith it's like no i do mm-hmm. i really want to do this am i really in this do i really care about this like both you know the priests and and in uh the exorcist like they're always questioning like is this real should i you know and maude is never not proving her faith and it's mm-hmm. in spite of you know again like living in a time in which people aren't as connected to religion as younger people are more disconnected to it as they more than, than they used to be i guess but like yeah it's a uh, this movie has a lot to chew on. It's a lot. There's a lot there. <laughs> yeah. And it's similar, like you were saying to the Black Coat's Daughter, where it's like yeah. this one character has had this quest to try and prove themselves mm-hmm. to someone. And in the end, like, was it all for nothing? Was it even ever real? Yeah. Or, you know, what have you done all these horrible things for right. in the end? Right. And I think that's such a a big, you know, going back to just horror in general and why we love horror movies, that's such a big fear of everyone's is like, when I get to the end of my life, what will it, what will it have all been for? And, um, that's a huge thing about religion. Cause even if you are religious, there's so much debate within religion about like, you know, do we like, what do we believe picking and choosing? And, you know, to some extent, everybody knows that they're, pieces and parts of religion that are made up even if you are like the most devout whatever you know you know there are some things that it's like no like this was added and no this is just what some people believe but it's not what everybody believes and so this weird fantasy that you know is part of real life is you know one of the greatest horror themes to hit on because it's that's such a fear that everyone who even believe have which uh Leads me, if we briefly touch upon it, but another movie yeah. that you guys discussed, which was Martyrs. And I think this movie parallels mm-hmm. a lot to that. And uh, maybe not on the surface, like you wouldn't immediately think of that, but I, I see a lot in common with Martyrs. And I'm curious yeah. what you think, because like in Martyrs, obviously, like I forget the 
I forget her name. I forget the lead character's name, but the girl who ends up making it to the end, like she, that's not by choice. I mean, she gets sucked into this and she does become a martyr and she does briefly see what's on the other side, you know, and that's the whole point. That's why Mm. they're getting her. That's why they're putting her through all of that. And then, but like what happens next? And then, you know what I mean? It's like, what, like what else is there? And that's, I think that's the whole theme running through both of those movies. It's just like, what, once you get to that point, then what, you know, it's like, well, all this is for what, you know? And it's, yeah, I just, uh, yeah. The main character in Martyrs, her name is Anna and I, in Martyrs as well, Mademoiselle, she hears what Anna says is there afterwards. And, you know, we don't know why she then kills herself, but you know, was it because it's so great that she wants to get there right now? Was it because it's so horrible that she couldn't bear to tell all these people who have paid to be there, what is going to happen? You know, we don't know. Yeah. My final thought, and this is what I was telling you earlier was where I was kind of differing from what I was seeing online about St. Maud's. It's not, it's not as exciting now that we've discussed, it's not as exciting as, I led you to believe because at first I was like, wow, like I never even thought of that. But now, you know, it's whatever. But I, you know, when we were discussing earlier and what I've been seeing online is that people are starting to kind of come to the idea or the conclusion that Maude was maybe communicating with Satan instead of God at the end. And that maybe Satan was kind of latching on to her desperation for someone to believe in. I was much more interested in the idea that maybe God, this all-powerful, you know, overseer of everything that happens and that we do and that is done, uh, was maybe not as merciful and uh, and good as we believe that he is. And that, you know, I I was kind of like bummed and I was like, oh, people think it's Satan. Like, you know, been there, done that. Instead, I thought it was a much more exciting and kind of a more interesting legacy for St. Maud and kind of horror canon to think that this is the movie that's going to be like, no, it's actually maybe God isn't, um, you know, this divine character is not yeah. the generous being that we thought. And maybe he's the controller of bad as well as good in the world. That's actually really interesting. I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's that's some pretty cool. I mean, if that's what she was going for, which I don't know if that's the case, but like, that's a really cool idea because that hasn't really been done before. If it has yeah you know so yeah well and that's why i was struggling earlier when we were talking about saying that this film feels a little smaller than other movies it's i think that in the scope of the film yes but conceptually thematically i think this is such a cool and exciting movie and so yeah that was kind of my big thought so thank you for telling me that i'm yeah that's (laughs) sure (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think let's do some of our wrap-up questions. So we kind of texted about this earlier. There are a couple of murders in St. Maud, but there's not that many. We've got Maud, we've got Amanda, and we've got this person that she kills before the movie begins. So let's forego most memorable murder and just ask, what's your most memorable moment from St. Maud? There's a few. I mean, I think between the elevation scene she's levitating in the air i think that's beautiful i think but i think mm-hmm. and the ending the final moment is jarring but i think i gotta say the bedside the bedside scene in which we get the manifestation of possible dark god or satan we don't know but I- yeah dark god i like that 
on God. <laughs> um, I think that's what really, that's what I think when people see this, when they eventually do see it, it's that's what's going to stick with them. So I, I'm going with that. Yeah. And I also loved how this movie has its gross moments yeah. with, you know, the Buffer. self. Uh, I don't know if abuse would be the right word for what Maude's doing for herself. Like, yes, but I don't know. Um, but, you know, that moment was kind of jarring in that it was so aggressively violent from Maude to Amanda. And I think I'm going to agree with you on this because that was the moment where I was like, you know, all of this kind of evangelizing that Maude has done doesn't matter anymore. She's here for herself and she's here to make herself into her own God because she's willing to throw it all out and do something that um, vile. Yeah. So I'm going to agree with you that scene, chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. And, and like we said, I think the final shot of the movie is definitely like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, but. Yeah. And not on its own with the contrast of what else is going right. on. It's. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> Having on a, a, a mod orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> a mod gasm. I like that. <laughs> Uh, on a scary scale of one to five, how would you rank St. Maud? I'm going to go three and a half. I'm going to go three. Wow. Yeah. I think because of, again, there's not, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of scares in this, but the couple big ones that there are, I think they're, they stick with you. They linger. And I think that's the kind of horror I gravitate towards. It's just like building, building, building them boom in your face. And so, yeah, I'm going at three, 3.5, something like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to do like a 2, 2.5. Okay. Just because I agree with you completely. And I always tend to think of this in terms of like, could I recommend this to someone I know that does not watch horror yeah. movies? And I think that this movie is like such, so on the line where it's like, ugh, like, yes, I could. But at the same time, no, I couldn't. Because I think that there are things in this movie that are so disturbing and would be jarring to somebody that isn't prepared to handle something psychological. Sure. Um, so I'm going to go with like a two and a half, like a very middle of the okay. road. Who knows? St. Maude. Yeah. Would you give it a smash or a slash? Obviously smash. Yes. A modgasm smash. smash. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm Amanda looking over at you and imitating like, and being like, Oh ooh, yeah. yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I want some of that. <laughs> Well, I hope you had an absolute blast traveling back in time with me to listen to Julianne and I discuss St. Maud. Next week, Caroline and Ian will be back to discuss the brand new hot, hot, hot release, Willie's Wonderland, starring Nicolas Cage. That was originally scheduled for this week. Some conflicts happened. We had to push it back to next week and release St. Maud instead. And lucky you, because what an episode this has been. So come back for more fun next next week. And while you're waiting for that episode, why don't you head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. Of course, you can always find me, Parker, on Instagram and Twitter at Parker Del Rey. You can find What's Your Favorite Scary Movie at patreon.com slash scarymoviepod for some really rad bonus content every single month. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at scarymoviepod. Shoot us an email at scarymoviepod at gmail.com and check that website at scarymoviepod.com. 
on that note, I think let's wrap it up. Julianne, yeah. what a pleasure this, this has been. This has been so much fun. And I'll be back. Don't worry. If people are now obsessed with you like I am, how can they find you? I am at Twitter and Instagram at the Jewel Marie, the J-U-L Marie. All right. Thank you so much, Julianne. We'll have a orgasm, please. <laughs> it's on the to-do <laughs> list. I've checked this off and that's next. <laughs> Bye. Bye.